Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The, the, the games are over, but the game never stops. Never stops. This is College Football Overtime with Garrett Chapman and Abe Gordon. Abe Gordon, we are back. College Football Overtime with a brand new logo. If you check out the top of her upper hand, um, I don't know if it's a left or the right. Honestly, everything inverts at this point, so it, it's up there for me. But you got a 50-50 shot, bro. Take a guess. 50-50. 50-50. But College Football Overtime, we're back, and we got a brand new logo, brand new look. We're loving it, man. Uh, and we are packed with all things college football. We have all the reactions that you guys need. Week 10 is going to prove to be one of the most important weeks of the year. Uh, it kicks off the most important month of football. Power five races, they're really coming down to it. And the second edition of the college football playoff rankings come out on Tuesday. Our list of contenders is getting smaller and smaller by the week. We have a number of fringe contenders who were likely eliminated over the weekend. But we'll tell you where we stand on all of these teams tonight on college football overtime. But Abe Gordon, before we get in, into any of that, how you doing, man? Dude, we're we're we are just flying high. I guess you, I would say it, it was just such a strong week of football. Like you mentioned, one week leads into another, but uh, the big games delivered uh, starting early and uh, all, all the way, obviously, until uh, yeah. things wrapped up in the Pac-12. It, it was a, another fun Saturday of football, and it just—I mean, every week you're just reminded how lucky we are to be fans of this sport because uh it, the time comes and goes but uh boy it, it just seems to deliver every single week you can you can look at the schedule you can look at the matchups and mm-hmm. maybe you feel it's not there but every week somehow it is so uh that's just another one in line for for yeah. football we have some massive upsets throughout the week of course we got to get into bedlam we got to talk about kansas state almost pulling the upset over texas the wild, incredible game that was the 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 defense defenseless bowl out there, Washington and USC, plus some ramifications that have already taken place today. Um, but Abe, I do want to start specifically in the Southeastern Conference, Georgia and Missouri, huge game in in the SEC East. Missouri had a very, albeit an outside chance, to win the SEC East and represent the conference in the SEC championship game for the third time since it joined the conference back in 2012. How it, but it would have to go through Georgia to do that. And Georgia really flexed its muscles in this game. They, this was a game where I don't think they played their best football, you know. But at the end of the day, they were able to power through and do what they needed to do. Carson Beck, in particular, was somebody who I was looking at to have a big game today or on Saturday. 21 of 32, 254 yards, two touchdowns. He was get, they had Missouri actually got some good pressure on him throughout the day. They had three sacks. They, they kind of made him uncomfortable. But, look, they did what they needed to do on offense. And, and – the defense, I would say, really stole the day. Luther Burden came in flying high. He was one of the top players in all of college football. He'd been kind of stumbling recently um, over his last three weeks or so, especially that game against Kentucky where he was held to two receptions. He had that huge first drive where he accumulates 50 yards, a touchdown, and on three, on three receptions, but then was held catchless for the rest of the game. So 
huge credit to Georgia for, for what they were able to do in this game. A really good Missouri team who I think looked really tough and up to the challenge, who I think is also going to be a really tough matchup for Tennessee next week. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. That was kind of my takeaway was, was maybe Missouri was a little bit better. Um, and not that, that people weren't counting them in, mm-hmm. in this game, but th- this kind of just did solidify the fact that they were deserving of their top 15 ranking coming mm-hmm. into this game. And, and as you mentioned, Luther Burden, he has the early start. Uh, he does get banged up. I don't know how much that would have played uh, into him being limited uh, the rest of the way. I looked like maybe an ankle or something that was bothering him and he had to leave for a little bit. And you do kind of wish he had been full health, but obviously look, injuries are part of the game. Georgia's not full health. Uh, we know that. Um, but this was an, an interesting uh, game for me to watch. It was a situation. I think Kirby smart addressed it post game. Th- this is not a Georgia team that is going to come out and steamroll. And, mm-hmm. and this is their comfort level. They've been in a number of close games, a number of close situations. It's good that they're comfortable in that type of affair. And they certainly are. Uh, th- th- this was not, as you mentioned, not their best effort, um, but it was relatively complete. Um, it, you got some from the offense. You got some from the defense. Uh, obviously, uh, a long field goal there a- as well. So th- this was a-, a game where they did not make a huge statement like I thought they would, like you thought they would. They did not, they weren't super overly impressive. We'll get to how we think this game impacts the college football playoff rankings a little bit later. But um, for me, this was just a good, solid win for Georgia. Carson Beck, as you mentioned, has become a very steadying uh, force for this offense. And um, yeah, it's just, it's tough to criticize Georgia because they're not doing what they've done the past two years. I think that's, wildly unfair to thrust upon them this is a georgia team that went out there saturday and beat a very good missouri team that's where this game was this is a very good team and georgia had a comfortable time with them they didn't blow them out the water um but at no point was i feeling in this game like well i don't know if they're gonna pull out uh in this one i it, it, it didn't feel that way it felt like they were in control the whole way through. And that's just kind of what you have to get used to with Georgia football this year. Yeah. They're a boa constrictor. Like they're one of those teams that's just going to just make you earn it down the stretch. And, and really that's what they they've, they've asked teams to force teams to do. And look, and if you're Missouri, you can't throw two interceptions. Brady cook right. was largely pretty effective in this game uh, at 212 yards in the touchdown 14, but he was sub sub 50% passing uh, 14 of 30 in that regard and had the two interceptions, Nazir Stackhouse. I mean, look, that's an unacceptable interception if you're Missouri, just in general. I mean, that, unfortunately for them, uh, there was a penalty that knocked him back to the 20 or 30-yard line and kind of negated that drive. Nazir Stackhouse returns that interception. It was like a sneak pass or something like that to a tight end. I don't really know what was trying what they were trying to do, but you threw it right into the gut of a 300-pounder, and then he proceeds to run the ball down to the five-yard line. I mean... He was rumbling and stumbling all the way down there, but uh, that was an unacceptable thing. And look, if, if you're going to beat this Georgia team, you cannot do it by making mistakes. It's just not going to happen because this team is too well coached. It's too sound in its, in its what it does. Um, just it does the little things right, you know, and they were talking about this specifically on the broadcast that they, this is not a penalized team. They're, Oh my God, they're going crazy. Like they have so many penalties today. And I, and I, I remember 
thinking back and like looking at the, the actual totals for what they had like penalty wise, they had five penalties for 55 yards. And that still felt like a lot because Georgia doesn't beat itself. Generally Carson Beck, Mr. Efficiency, even if he was hounded and harassed all game, doesn't throw the interceptions, doesn't make the bad decision. He, he just plays effective football on offense. They don't put the ball on the ground. They don't throw interceptions on defense. They'll take the ball away and do the little things right. And Missouri just isn't a, a talented enough team to get away with that. But one thing I will say specifically for Missouri is they got the rushing attack working in this game. Cody Schrader. I mean, I, I had it on a rundown on college football game time that debuts every single Saturday morning, eight o'clock to noon. You can catch it on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcast or just tune in live. We love that too. But um, Cody Schrader, he in first halves of game of, of games, he averages something in the likes of four yards per carry in the second half. It goes up to six and a half yards per carry. Um, I didn't think that that was going to continue in this game. Georgia, of course, is just a, a, a tough team to run the football against just in general. I mean, especially if you're looking at a running back who's trying to make that happen. Uh, but Cody Schrader, man, he he had a great game. I thought he was he gave them the best chance to win. And I was not expecting that on Saturday. Yeah, I, I think once you saw that mm -hmm. Luther Burden wasn't going to have the impact that they probably needed him to have in this game if they were going to win it, them being Missouri, uh, they, they had to go elsewhere. And, and, and you're right, they rode the back of Schrader. The thing that's gotten interesting to me in regards to this Georgia team, and, and I know you've asked this question to me before, what's the path to beating them? And, mm -hmm. and, and uh, another potential answer came to me while watching this game is, you need to get this Georgia team desperate in the second half. And it doesn't feel like they have been. Um, maybe, you know, earlier against Auburn or, or South Carolina when you're down double digits. But even then, it didn't feel like they were desperate. It felt comfortable and calm and in control. Yeah. Uh, I think you need to have them so out of sorts that they get desperate, uh, especially on offense. To, to me, that's that's where you need them to be. And, and look – with all due respect to Missouri, 21 points is not beating this Georgia team. Probably not. Probably not. But, you know, one team that is coming to town into uh, next week, the Rebels, Ole Miss Rebels. That's, uh, that's an offense that we're going to be talking about here in just a second. Uh, they'll, they'll need a win against that Rebels squad, and then they'll lock up the SEC East. Of course, this game goes a long way in doing that. Uh, Missouri and Tennessee, they'll need a little bit of help if they want to represent the SEC East. It's likely going to be Georgia just based off of this result, but yeah. Georgia still has to play Ole Miss. Georgia still has to go on the road to Knoxville and play Tennessee, and both of them, they Missouri and Tennessee play that week or next week in a likely elimination game. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. That's going to be a really good one that we're going to discuss here on Thursday morning, right here on College Football Overtime. So make sure you tune in on Thursday to get all of that analysis. But I do want to move on into another game that had – Massive implications in the Southeastern Conference. That's Alabama and LSU. Alabama jumps on LSU and seizes control of the SEC West in just a dominating offensive effort. I know you've been looking for them to falter. Uh, Jalen Milrow in particular. They throw the ball down the field and they kind of hope for the best. Uh, but one thing I mentioned on Saturday is I think that th I thought that this was the game that they were finally going to unleash Jalen Milrow's legs. And they did that in a massive way, 155 yards on the ground, four touchdowns. And then on top of that, he was Mr. Like, he was just effective in the, in the passing attack. 15 of 23, he was hitting his, 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 his spots. 219 yards passing, 96 QB rating. I mean, look, the dude was doing everything he needed to do in this game. He was Superman. 
We looked at Jaden Daniels to be that guy, and he was. He was a really great player. And, and look, he, he showed why he's one of the most electric players in college football. But Jalen Milrose stole the show. Yeah, this was a game that was tied 28 28 late, <clears throat> in, late yeah. in the stages. And um, obviously, Jaden Daniels goes out and, uh, you know, gets kind of banged around a little bit, and he's out of the game, and Alabama seizes control from that point forward. Uh, but but you're right. The thing to me is with Milrow is I had always been asking why they weren't, and there's a lot of quarterbacks in the SEC that feels like they should run more. Obviously, Jane Daniels runs a lot. I don't understand why Joe Milton doesn't run more based on what they're doing on offense. Milrow was the same way, and we've talked multiple times about how I thought he needed to have a big game with his legs, and that hasn't really been part of the game plan for them this season. It was part of the game plan on Saturday night. They made a very concerted effort to get him to run the ball when stuff breaks down, and it paid paid off. In a very big way. And now you start to wonder, where does this Alabama team feel they are at? Because there was a stretch here where it was like, be a game manager. Don't lose the game. Let your defense do its thing. And then you see that. And and look, we all know LSU's proclivities on defense. And and no one's sitting here wildly surprised that Alabama was able to drop 40 on them. But you do start to wonder if Saban has unlocked the potential that rests in Jalen Milrow and if 30 and 40 point games from the Alabama offense start to become the norm the rest of the way. That's the big question for me. Is this something that they can do and repeat moving forward? Uh, Because if so, it's going to be very tough to get Alabama out of there, even for Georgia in an SEC title game. Um, but but you've done it once now with Milrow and 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 through the arm and with his legs. He's got to repeat that effort. That's what I'm interested in moving forward in terms of LSU. Um, you know, w- when you lose your Heisman hopeful um, due to a, a couple big hits in the fourth quarter early stages, uh, there's there's no road back at that point. This game was over when when he was taken out of the game, um, and understandably so. But uh, Alabama very impressive uh offensively for them and and now it's just a a matter of whether they can repeat that effort yeah yeah and i think it was a very interesting stat line just looking at the box score in this one in particular look you've got a quarterback who leads your rushing and your passing uh that's just generally speaking that's uh, it's not a recipe for winning um you need a little bit more you need a little bit of help you know and and look malik neighbors did everything that he could in this game 10 receptions 171 yards and a touchdown um, he's a freak of nature. I mean, like, look, he might, I mean, we talked about Luther Burton just a second ago, but Malik neighbors is right there as one of the top players in, in the country. I think the race for the Bolitnikoff this year is going to be very interesting with all of the great wide receivers that exist across college football right now. But look, Jalen Milrow, he completed a pass to eight different receivers and the majority of these guys, I mean, they, they were way down the field. Jermaine Burton, I expected to be a guy who did take a big role in this one. He really became a consistent target. For Jalen Milrow, Isaiah Bond was another one. He finished with five receptions in this game. Um, I thought Alabama looked just consistent and good uh, on offense for really the first time this season. And I, I don't know if that's, like you mentioned, the fact that you have an LSU defense that has shown a proclivity to getting beat. Uh, but Alabama looked comfortable. They looked good. Uh, it, that hasn't been the case really all season this year. They looked like they were 
a step away from a touchdown or an interception. They look like they are just inches away from falling apart as much as they are uh, finding success. I mean, they, they were just uh, the, the winds of the moment, if you will. Uh, and the winds of change pushed them into, into a positive direction here this time. And is that something that can continue? I would assume so, because you go on the road to Kentucky. That's not going to be a slouch of a game, but I don't think they'll have much trouble up there in Lexington. And then you have Chattanooga coming to town, which of course is not going to be any issue at all. But then it's the Iron Bowl. And Alabama, I mean, you've all but effectively locked up the SEC. You need to go on the road and get a win against Kentucky in order to actually officially lock it up, uh, if you will. But Ole Miss, I mean, they're right there on the outside. We're going to talk about them here in just a second. But um, you have that win against them already. So you're in the driver's seat of the SEC West. Uh, This looked like a team that could beat Georgia. I mean, of course, we're going to get deeper into that as the season goes along because it's looking more and more like we're just going to have just a, a recap of a rehash of, of just an old rivalry, a budding rivalry, if you will, Alabama and Georgia in the SEC title game. But look, it looked to me that Alabama has figured itself out on offense, and that starts with Jalen Milrow. Yeah, I, I do wonder mm-hmm. if they were careful to not run him too much throughout the middle part of the season and were kind of saving him for this game, knowing he would have to run. Obviously, they had some comfortable wins uh, against some SEC opponents. Um, but you saw what happened to, to Jaden Daniels in terms of taking contact. And yeah. you do wonder if, if there's some part of this was, all right, look, we don't want you to take too much contact up until this game. We've had our eyes on this game. You knew it was going to be this game. Uh, maybe now is when we unleash you. Um, and and yeah. is that a situation where you can't put it back in the box at this point? Everyone's going to expect it. So we'll see how that plays out the remainder of the season. Um, but but it, it felt like I've been asking for weeks, like, why doesn't this guy run more? Like, we know he's a pretty good dual threat quarterback. It, it seems like they're putting a lot on his arm. When we finally get him running a little bit, we see just how dangerous it can be. Um, it, it does make me wonder where it was earlier in the season. Um, but I certainly expect to see it now moving forward. And to that point, though, <clears throat> He did have 15 carries uh, against Texas earlier in the season. I think that was more a necessity than it was anything else, just in particular. Uh, It's because I didn't really trust his downfield passing attack in that game. Yeah, Uh, Of course, he's right at 50% in that one, and they ran out of necessity. He gets 44 yards in that game, and he's he's shown a a proclivity to run the football. He generally averages somewhere in the range of like a 10 to 15 sack-adjusted yards, um, or excuse me, 10 to to 15 uh, attempts, I should say. Uh, and then sack adjusted, I, I, he's he's almost five, five, 400 yards or something on the season. So he's run the ball, but not nearly to this level. Uh, so I agree with you. I think that they might have unlocked something with Jalen Milrow just in general. And they're going to be, just like every year, a threat uh, come the end of the season. And I think that might be reflected in the college football playoff rankings. But we'll see that here in just a little bit. I do want to move on and finish with our last SEC team, Ole Miss in Texas A&M. This was a very interesting game, you know. Uh, we had big blocked punts. We had blocked field goals as effectively the last last play of the game. I mean, like the, the last effort that Texas A&M had in this one was the blocked field goal from Ole Miss. And and I remember mentioning to you, I said that Quinchon Judkins was going to be the reason they won this football game. Uh, he was my prediction in my, my one-week wonder, or one of my predictions for the one-week wonder at one point. He finished this game with 102 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Jackson Dart was a steady hand, 387 yards passing, two touchdowns, almost all of that going to Trey Harris, 213 yards 
for the junior wide receiver there. He also scored that touchdown. Uh, this Ole Miss offense is cooking, Abe. What say you? This is a really good Texas A&M defense, too. Yeah, it, it was. It, it, now, we talked about it. We we talked about the pressure that they have up front and, and what is not there, unfortunately, on the back end. Uh, I was less impressed in, in this game, to be honest. I thought that Ole Miss had a chance to have complete game control, and they gave it away. They actually uh, gave up the lead uh, late in this game and, and had to come back to retake the lead. Uh, it felt like they were in, in full control, and then they weren't. And and yeah. uh, the, the defense just fell apart for a couple of drives and let AM get to a, a number in 35 that they had no business being at in, in terms of that. But, look, Ole Miss is kind of like an LSU where their offense is going to score. Um, you have to be prepared for their offense to score, but you can get to them on defense too. Uh, and, and so that's kind of how this game played itself out. You're right, Jackson Dart. Judkins, Harris, I mean, they've got some guys that can make some plays. Uh, but this felt like it should have been like a 38-14 type of win, uh, and it just wasn't. I, I would not be feeling good uh, heading into Georgia coming off of this game. Uh, neither of us are overly impressed by the Texas A&M squad. Uh, you mentioned the front four, the front seven. Obviously, yeah. those guys are good but uh, on defense. But outside of that, we're not generally impressed. We, we wondered where the offense had been since Max Johnson took over. Um, and I guess they found it against Ole Miss. But uh, I, I thought this was a game that Ole Miss had in hand. And then the next thing I look up, I'm like, oh, they're, they're about to fall behind again. So um, maybe a little sleepwalky uh, through the middle stage of this game. But they did pull it out at the end. Uh, and boy, as you mentioned, when, when they've got their weapons going, they are a dangerous offense. I think, um, we've seen that pretty much week in, week out with Ole Miss. They can score. Yeah. And, and Lane Kibben actually talked about that specific point that you made earlier in, in your comment. <clears throat> this was, they did a, effectively a 10 point swing. Yeah. Really a, a 14 point swing. If you think about it, uh, going into halftime, they had a, a holding penalty to gate a touchdown that would have put them up 21 to nothing and, and really put a damper on the early going in this game. But a holding penalty negates that. Then you have the blocked field goal that goes for a touchdown. And all of a sudden, instead of 21 to nothing, and then instead of 17 to nothing, it's 14 to 7. And that really was kind of the like, what, what this game was for both of these teams. It was Ole Miss scores and then Texas A&M is just sort of hanging around. Ole Miss had too many opportunities to really put this game away. Uh, and they just didn't do it. Uh, and this is yeah. a really good Texas A&M team, like you said. They struggle mightily on the road. They're 0-9 in their last nine games on the road. They're 0-4 versus ranked teams. They still could reach eight wins on the season, which uh, is interesting just in, in and of itself. Uh, credit to Jimbo Fisher. Uh, not a lot of it, but, I mean, he's he's kind of kept this train on the rails, if you will. Uh, because this was very easily could have gone off just based off of how this team is kind of just underperformed at times and then greatly yeah. overperformed at others. And it just doesn't, I don't really understand what the identity of Texas A&M is in at this point. I don't think anybody does, but it looks like they finally got back on track on offense. Max Johnson, like you said, um, helped rally them back from a, a 10 point deficit in the fourth quarter. He looked pretty good. 305 yards passing. I, I really don't know what Texas A&M is. They're going to go play in a bowl game. I, I guess that's going to be enough uh, unless the wheels just completely fall off. Your guess is as good as mine as to like actually how good this football team is. But if you're Ole Miss, 
I feel a little better, I think, than you do about the Rebels' chances going into Athens next week. They, I don't like their ability to travel. The offense is, has shown that it's not very effective on the road. And, of course, we're going to get into all of this next th- uh, on Thursday when we do our previews because this is one of only a couple of, of, a couple of games, I should say, that are going to be just massive implications on, on the college football playoff race, on the SEC, the Big Ten, you have Michigan and Penn State. And we're going to discuss all of those games right here on College Football Overtime this Thursday. But Abe, did you have any more thoughts on this Texas A&M Ole Miss game? Yeah, it, it's just really interesting to me that Texas A&M is so boomer bust defensively. It just feels like if they get their pass rush home, they can have success. But if they can't get to the quarterback, then it, it's fair game. You may as well be playing against LSU at that point. Uh, it, it feels like the defense should be better based on what they can do up front, and it just isn't. And I don't have an explanation for that. Yep. You know, I completely understand that. <laughs> I just really don't understand them. But uh, let's move to the Big 12. Texas and Kansas State, a really impressive game. A game that, you know, it felt like Texas had this in hand on, on multiple occasions. And uh, Kansas State goes behind big. They only rushed the ball for 43 yards. And that was something that that really felt like it would have been. Like, if you had told me this after the game, I would have told you that Texas beat the brakes off of Kansas State that they really wouldn't have had an opportunity to win this game, much less that it was going to go to overtime. So huge credit to Kansas State for winning outside of really what is in their what their DNA is, which is running the ball effectively. Tracian Ward and DJ Giddens held to 52 total yards on the ground. I mean, that I mean, that's just an incredible performance from the Texas front seven, just in general. So I want to start there. But Malik Murphy, you gotta be better. Two interceptions in this game. 248 yards passing was pretty good, but the mistakes just can't be there. But Jonathan Brooks, dude's a stud. He is a stud. 5.1 yards per carry, 112 total yards, or 112 rushing yards and a touchdown. He is a really important cog in this machine on offense, but A.D. Mitchell as well. I mean, like, look, you've got the players, you've got the dudes, but Malik Murphy's got to be better. Yeah, and the, honestly, the way this thing played out, there was a late miss field goal. Kansas State probably could have won this game. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously we know once they got to overtime, well, I mean, let, let's break down the decision in overtime. You're, you're fourth and like three or four. You've already given up the field goal in overtime. I, I don't understand the mindset behind not kicking and going to a second overtime there. Uh, I, w- I was pretty confused by that. I thought that was the play. Um, they obviously decided to go for it and, and it doesn't work out. Uh, so I don't know what was going on there. Maybe he had lost confidence in his field goal kicker based on the, the miss near the end of regulation, which I thought actually would end the game. The fact that he missed there, but Texas wasn't able to run out the clock entirely. Kansas state gets it back. They then do kick a, uh, a game tying field goal as, as, as the clock expired and get to overtime. And here we are, but a uh, little, little questioning uh, of that decision, but mm-hmm. I think you you're, you're right this is a team in Texas that needs Quinn Ewers back. It just, they're not going to get the job done with Malik Murphy and, and nothing wrong with him. Um, they, it look, they got through it on this one, but there, there is a limit to how good they can be with Malik Murphy. Um, and it's a different limit than how good they can be with Quinn Ewers. So look, they may be able to run the remainder of their schedule, Texas. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it's not the toughest, in the world, you got TCU, Iowa State, Texas Tech. Like, like you should be winning those games, Malik Murphy or not. But 
if we get to a Big 12 title game, uh, and who knows uh, the way things are trending, that might be against Oklahoma State at this point. We'll get to that in a moment. But, uh, I mean, th- this is not a Texas team with Malik Murphy that's going to win anything in the college football playoffs if they even happen to be in position to be uh, one of those four teams. So uh, Quinn Ewers has got to get back for this team to have any of those real aspirations, not necessarily feel that they have them anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but uh, yeah, that, that it, it's just, they, they honestly should have lost this game. It, it, it just, the way I looked at it and I know you went through some of the stats and, but it, it just felt like a game that we're talking about them winning. It feels like it was a loss though. Um, and some of that goes back to the missed field goal, the end of the regulation. Some of that goes back to you, you do end up going for it on fourth down there in overtime. You are, you know, a literal play away from winning that game. Um, so some interesting choices being made there, but, um, certainly not an impressive performance by Texas, whether it's Malik Murphy or not. Yeah, and look, I do want to give credit to Kansas State because this is a good football team, and this is a team that's been a bit of a Texas killer in yeah. recent years. So I, I don't I don't completely agree with you necessarily as far as like this is like a bad win per se. You, you beat a team that you should beat, survive in advance. Not every win is created equal. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, like you survive in advance and you do what you got to do. Um, I, I mean, if I'm Texas, I don't care if I win ugly against a team that's been that's notoriously had my number, you know, over recent years. And they've been playing some of their best football as of late. They're a hot football team. And you come in and and really take care of business after blowing a 20 point lead in this in the fourth quarter. Uh, like at the end of the day, like you survive in advance and you live to talk and say another day and. Again, we're going to get into our college football playoff rankings. Maybe this affected where they stand in that in that ranking. I, I may or may not agree with uh, with that if they move around too much. But uh, because this is a good Texas team, I think that they showed that they are a step below, like we mentioned, without Quinn Ewers. And is this something where you think we could see Arch Manning? I don't necessarily think we will. Uh, but we're coming up to the end of the season. It's not like he would blow a red shirt if he comes out there. But these are important football games and, and Texas can't really afford to drop a game. It's an interesting question. I think if we were going to see him, we would have all, already. Um, now I, I do agree with you. There's some situations depending on game score and scenario. TCU, Iowa state are road games. Texas tech yeah. is your only home game uh, remaining. So I, I mean, there is potential if you get to a, a certain point mm-hmm. of the game where you're comfortable, but I don't think you're going to see Malik Murphy replaced if that's what you're asking. No, and I don't think that we're actually going to see that, yeah. really. Down the stretch, of, like you mentioned, at TCU on the 11th, at Iowa State on the 18th, those are difficult. Don't don't sleep on those two games. Iowa State was right there. They are right there 4-2 in conference. Uh, don't let that 5-4 and four record fool you. They've been pretty good in the Big 12 this year. And then you finish the, ro- the season at home against Texas Tech. Uh, the Red Raiders are a, a good football team. So, look. You have good teams down the stretch. Down the stretch, these are not teams that should be giving Texas too much trouble. Uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, I fully expect Texas to remain undefeated throughout the rest of their slate and just finish with the one loss against Oklahoma, uh, who we're going to get to here in just a second. And a team that I am fully expecting them to be playing in the Big Twelve title game, especially based off of the performance on Saturday in the final edition of Bedlam. The Oklahoma State Cowboys, man, I, I have to just give full credit to, to Gundy and these guys. And, and, and look, 
go Pokes, baby. <laughs> I mean, this is a team that has dominated you. The, the people in Oklahoma, uh, I mean, we talked to the, the play-by-play voice of the Oklahoma State Cowboys on Saturday, and, and look, he mentioned it. Like, this game means a whole hell of a lot to the people in Stillwater. I mean, this is this is big brother that, you're, that was coming into town, likely for the final time as just a, a regularly scheduled opponent. They've dominated you. They've dominated you over the last hundred years, but you get the last laugh. Ollie Gordon is just a freak of nature. And if he's not invited to New York city based off of the performances that he has had over the last couple of weeks, then that is just a, a, a travesty and a, and a shame to the sport of college football. He, he rushes for 137 yards and two touchdowns in this game. He was honestly the biggest reason why they won this game, not necessarily based off of what he did on the stat sheet per se, it's what his influence had on this football game. 137 yards is a great day by most standards, but this is also a guy who had 247 two weeks ago. He's a guy who had 850 total yards coming into this game just his last three games. No, it was what he did to the Oklahoma front. They all stuck all the way up to the front, and then quarterback Alan Bowman is able to just pick up a part on the back end, single coverage. He passes for 334 yards in this game. Rashad Owens has 10 receptions, 136 yards. Brennan Presley, eight catches, 97 yards. Those are his two favorite targets in this game. 334 yards from the quarterback. It was not something that I was fully expecting to see. But then again, not a lot of people were expecting a 27-24 Oklahoma State victory. But go Pokes, man. They're right there on top of the Big 12. They are 5-1 and one in the conference, and they are riding high as uh, they, they look to finish out the season. And it's a similar script to what we've seen, unfortunately, for the Sooners in recent weeks, both in wins and in yep. losses. And that's the turnovers. Uh, he, Dylan Gabriel throws an interception. He fumbled the ball twice. They had a couple other fumbles. They lost two of those. They lost the turnover battle. And this is the one thing I've been talking to you about for two weeks now is this was a team that was among the league, uh, the, the late leaders in the country mm-hmm. uh, in plus turnover margin. And in their recent losses, uh, it has come back to bite them, and, and that is they're just not good enough to overcome that, unfortunately. For whatever reason, it, it was working for them early in the season. It, it obviously helped them bite Texas, uh, the turnover specifically, but yeah. um, the last two weeks, they, it has not been there for them. I will tell you this, and, and you're right to pinpoint on Ollie Gordon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did take him 33 carries, so a lot of touches <laughs> there. He did yeah. happen to throw the uh, only interception for Oklahoma State as well. Uh, interesting play call there. But I, I want to go to Oklahoma and just give a little bit of props, even in the loss. Um, Drake Stoops is a guy that is probably an easy target for a lot of people because of the last name Stoops. Uh, but that guy's just a heck of a football player, man. He's super fun to watch. Um, and, and I just respect the heck out of, of what he is doing and, and, and his game. Um, when you watch him play, just a lot of physical toughness, man. He's searching out contact, uh, but he's got good hands and good route running and, and all that stuff. So uh, Drake Stoops is, is probably a, a receiver maybe not everyone respects and gives credence to, but, um, boy, he's, he's a really good football player. But uh, you're right. Ollie Gordon leads the way here. Yeah. and it's look it wasn't the 200 some odd yards it's been two of the other three weeks but it was more than enough it was about as you mentioned game control uh that that's what this was about and it was also about also as you mentioned what it allowed alan bowman to do 
within the offense. Uh, this is a very impressive Oklahoma State team. And again, it, we, we talked about it before the game. It's so easy to overlook them because of their losses and how things played out early in the season. But this is a team that has, and, and we'll talk about it throughout the show, uh, throughout moving forward on Thursday as well. There are a lot of teams that don't have their identity still. And we are two-thirds or three-fourths of the way through the college football season. It is safe to say one of the teams that knows who it is is Oklahoma State. They know their identity. They know what they want to do on both sides of the ball. And that's what allows them to play the way they have. And, and so, you know, Mike Gundy in his 19th year um, gets it done one final time there uh, against the Sooners in Bedlam. So congrats to him. This was an outstanding performance for a team. Um, that had been buried, and uh, yeah. I would say no longer. Yeah, especially. I mean, just just look at what this team was uh, w- was discussed as. I mean, people were calling for Mike Gundy's head after yeah. they lose thirty three to seven against South Alabama. I don't know I how mean, that it happens. Was just, that was just probably still to this day is one of the most inexplicable results of the college football season this year. But I mean, full credit to Mike Gundy. This is a team that that I mean, his squad. Lost two, only won two of the his first sixteen games against Oklahoma in Bedlam, and has now won two of the final three against the Sooners. But I will say though, this Oklahoma team, the writing has kind of been on the wall for them. I know you blame the the, the turnovers in particular, but each of the Sooners' past four games have been decided by five points or fewer. Uh, of course, they won the first two against Texas and Central Florida, but then they lost the last two. They lost to Kansas in a game that likely derailed their season. And then now against Oklahoma State, which has just completely knocked it off. Um, and they'll be, they'll look to recover. I mean, they can still go in, in, and play for something down the stretch. I mean, like you can go still go play in a New Year's Six Bowl. You can still go do something else like that and, and still have a pretty successful season. But it's not going to be the successful season that Brent Venables was hoping for, uh, potentially playing for a college football playoff or a Big Ten, a Big 12 title. That looks like it's about out the door because – you might have the tiebreaker against Texas. That's really your only hope at this point is that Texas falters at some point down the stretch because now you've lost the tiebreaker to Oklahoma State. And their final stretch, let me look at it. It's at UCF, at Houston, and then Brigham Young comes to town for the final game of the season. And I don't see them dropping a single one of those games. They shouldn't. Crazier things have happened in college football, but Oklahoma State is playing some of its best football when it matters most, and that's a that's a full credit to Mike Gundy and that coaching staff over there in Stillwater, Oklahoma. But I do want to move on. Oh, actually, last thing I will say, there was a five-way tie in the Big 12 last week going into the week. Now it's just two. It's Texas and Oklahoma State. That's what it's looking like. It's, it's about going to be finished that way, so we'll see what happens there. So it looks like we're starting to figure out who we're going to have playing at the very top. Uh, one that I that is still turning its way through is the ACC. It's looking like it's going to be Louisville and Florida State, but one team that is still alive, the Clemson Tigers. It's a little strange. I, I don't really know what to make of them, but they came into Saturday, and full credit to them. I, I blasted Dabo Sweeney and the Clemson Tigers on this very podcast on Thursday, um, and I'm going to give I'm going to bring them their flowers. Look, they they earned this game. They played with a chip on their shoulder and leaned probably leaned is probably not even a, a, a big enough word for what they did with Phil Maffa. He carried the ball 36 times 
for 186 yards and two touchdowns. Not super terribly efficient considering he had 36 rushing attempts. Cape uh, Klubnik only completed 13 passes. It's not pretty, but I think they know that they can't lean on Cape Klubnik anymore. This is just not the guy who they expected him to be uh, for the Clemson offense. But they, got again, got a little lucky. Cape Klubnik throws the interception in this one. Uh, they do have a pick six on Sam Hartman, one of the two interceptions that they had on Sam Hartman. Uh, but they fumbled the ball three times. Don't don't forget that fact. They fumbled it three times in this game. The, the fumbling woes have just killed them this year. They only lost one of them. So it didn't really come out, come back and bite them and cost them in the end. But they get the win against Notre Dame, 31-23, to a game that at the beginning of the season, a lot of people had their eyeballs on this one and circled it and bright red Sharpie and said that that's going to be a huge game. That's going to be a college football playoff ramification type of game. And not really <laughs> Notre Dame has its third loss of the season. Clemson avoids its fifth loss of the season, which would have just been an incredible performance or just an incredible result for that. But Clemson, they keep their season alive with a 31 23 win over Notre Dame. Yeah. It's, it's been an, a wild season for Clemson. Uh, it's safe to say that, uh, you know, going back a couple of weeks, I thought they played well enough to beat Florida state. Obviously the one big play switched things for them and their season's been uh, kind of wild since then. And and this feels like maybe a little bit of restabilizing for them. It, it, look, the frustrating thing is this Clemson team has always been there. They have an outstanding secondary, a pretty good defense yeah. overall, they can play tough and just some days it just, they just don't seem to show up uh, whether Dabo wants them to or not. And, and, and in this situation they did. And a lot of people have been counting them out. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of uh, laser focus has been towards Dabo um, and, and some of the comments that he's made, but uh, obviously they're still, in this and they're they're still a very tough out um you know florida state's already clinched their way into the acc title game as you mentioned we'll see who they'll uh be opposed by it'll get settled in the next week or two but um this is a clemson team that on a good day can still beat most teams in the country i think that is what they showed for everyone who wanted to i'm not suggesting you but there were a lot of people who did want to bury Dabo sweetie I, i think this is just a reminder of a program that reached the heights that Clemson reached, even when it's struggling, still isn't that far away from what they were. And I'm not suggesting that they can recover and win a national championship this year. But what I am saying is, look, they still got some top talent. The guy didn't forget how to coach overnight. There are issues with the quarterback. There are issues with the coordinators. Like, there's no denying that this is not the same team, but they're also not as far removed as a lot of people want them to be. That's all this game did was serve as a reminder. This is not a team that's going to go winless over its last four games. It's not a team that's going to miss a bowl. Like let's calm all that talk down. Um, Now they still have a long ways to go to get back to where they were to get back to where Georgia is or Alabama or Washington, whoever you want to throw in there. But um, just a reminder that this team is still pretty good on the right day. Yeah. And <clears throat> look at the end of the day, like this is a Clemson team that can beat anybody. I mean, they, if they play their best football, they're a tough team to beat just period end of story. I mean, you play that game against Florida state at home in death Valley, 10 times out of 10, uh, or ten, not, it's not 10 times out of 10 that Florida state wins that game. 
Um, <clears throat> Florida State didn't play their best game when they played Clemson, but it was still good enough to win. But this Clemson team can still give anybody a great game at any given time. They opened as a an 18-point favor against Georgia Tech, a team that we're going to get into here in just a second because they had an incredible effort against Virginia. But Clemson's not buried. They're not done yet. They're not invulnerable. And I, it's hard to really get a full feel of what Notre, or excuse me, what Notre Dame is just in general. Um, the, the Jekyll and Hyde season has continued for the fighting Irish. They, I, I, I really, I'm a little frustrated with, with this team in particular because they really appeared to have turned a corner Two dominating wins. You have the game against USC, which seemed like a, just a program defining win, uh, for this coaching staff that you beat them by 28 points and then you beat Pitt by 51, you know, I mean, I thought that this team had finally figured something out. The offense looked effective. Audrey Kestime, Sam Hartman and everybody else. The defense looked tough, looked physical, and it, it looked like it was actually winning at the point of attack. I thought that that set them up really nicely for this game because they were playing some of their best football. And I was like, all right, well, let's see if this can continue against another really tough opponent. No, it was just not the case. And and I think it all comes down to Sam Hartman. He throws the two interceptions in this game. They do have the fumble lost. Um, he was sub 50% completion percentage. That's just unacceptable. I mean, he had 146 yards passing. That's unacceptable. This team's he's got to be better, you know, and, and we really expected them to be Audrey estimated to take a big frontal role, front front row center role at, in this game. He was one of the biggest reasons why they trailed 24 to nine at halftime. Uh, they had to settle for three first half field goals. Audrey estimate needs to be, if he's playing his best football, he's scoring there. And like you need more from your, from your, your offense in those situations. You cannot only come away with nine points on those possessions on a in a road environment against a team. That's basically in desperation mode, trying to save its season and rally for its head coach, a team that clearly still believes in Dabo Sweeney and, and what this program has to offer. Uh, you need to score in the red zone and they just didn't get that done. Yeah, it was interesting to see uh, you've got a Clemson team that ran the ball 43 times, just 31 carries for Notre Dame. And estimate had 17 of them. He had averaged 5.1 yards per carry. It felt like it should have been a bigger part of the game. I agree yeah. with you. And, and instead of Hartman chucking the ball all over the place <clears> 30 <throat> times and, and having, like you said, less than 50% completion, feels like the run game should have been a bigger part of this one, and it simply wasn't. Uh, and even more so when you look at what Clemson can do on the back end, their defensive backfield is just that good. Um, so it, it was an interesting uh, game plan, I guess. It, it, the, the stats say they should have ran the ball more, but they didn't. So I don't know what was going on there. I, I agree with you. It's frustrating for Notre Dame. It felt like after that Louisville game, you had kind of recovered and it felt like 10 yeah. and two seemed likely um obviously you got to play the rest of the way out but it, you know maybe it's nine and three which isn't terrible but uh you're gonna be frustrating not to hit double digits on that win total in the regular season yeah it was a frustrating end into the season in the second half of the season for for Notre Dame that was that seemed like it was they figured something out uh just specifically on offense it looked like they were kind of rolling and uh, I kind of expected more from them in this game they kind of looked hapless at times granted they did have a great comeback and, and they nearly pulled off uh, a pretty exciting comeback at that. But I do want to move into another team, Georgia Tech. Um, they had a really impressive game. Uh, I actually thought that Virginia was going to be a team that was going to give them a lot of problems. Um, and this is 
of course, the next team that Clemson's got to face, this is a team that is also looking to fight for bowl eligibility. They have identical five and four records, not identical in the actual uh, ECC standings, if you will. One's two and four. One is four and two. One has a chance to go play for an ACC title game. Believe it or not, you need a little bit of help. And obviously, I don't think that's going to happen. But mathematically, they are not eliminated yet. And a lot of that has to do with quarterback Haynes King. He has another incredible day. The rushing attack has another incredible day. They run for over 300 yards in this one. And Haynes King in particular throws the ball to 10 different receivers. And he also does it with his legs, too. I mean, when he is playing at his best, and he's not throwing the football over and throwing interceptions and and making bad decisions with the football, which, albeit, is not very often, this Georgia Tech offense is among the best in the ACC. And, and that goes goes right in hand with with the ace of the uh, the UNCs, the Florida States. When they're at their best, they have shown fully capable of jumping on opponents, just like they did against UVA, a, a, a UVA team. Which, mind you, don't let that record fool you. They are a much better team than that their records might indicate. They they just beat North Carolina. They went wire to wire with Miami and just barely faltered in that game. But Georgia Tech comes up to Charlottesville and punches them in the mouth. Yeah, real impressive performance uh, offensively from this Tech squad. And, and and you mentioned Haynes King. Out of 30 passes thrown, just the seven incompletions. I mean, it's an outstanding uh, efficiency number for him. And obviously, as you mentioned, seven uh, rushes, two of those for touchdowns from King, five rushing touchdowns overall for that squad, 300 yards. I, I mean, they've just got it done at every aspect of what you want them to do offensively there's no doubt about it and look they get a turnover on defense they hold uh virginia under 20 points i mean that that's a great recipe for that tech program to win a lot of games and that's what we saw i was i was shocked to be honest yeah um it was competitive early virginia gets the first score they go right down the field and you're like all right what are we working with here um and georgia tech just molly them the rest of the way really separated and pulled away in this game and, and uh, you know, 21 points in that third quarter uh, leading to a, a very comfortable second half for Georgia Tech. Um, just very, very impressed by what they were able to do in this one, a game that a lot of people thought would be competitive, thought would be close. And yeah. for whatever reason, you, you go figure it out, just Georgia Tech on the road, um, just they, they're very good on the road. I don't know why, but uh, they are, and they showed it on Saturday. This was, this was impressive. Uh, I, I don't know if eye opening is the right term because there's there's still a limit to what this program is right now. Yeah. Um, but that was an impressive showing uh, to to beat a team that you're probably pretty close to competitive wise um, to handle business like that. That's a good look. Yeah, and of course, Tony Musket goes down in the first quarter of this game after the first drive, which looked very impressive. The starting quarterback for Virginia, that is. Um, he looked very good to start, but the UVA team just sort of fell apart after that fact. And the thing that I was most encouraged about with Georgia Tech in particular was the fact that they scored 21 points in the second quarter. They've done that a few times this year, actually. They they ride yeah. big quarters and then just fall asleep and, and do nothing else for the rest of the game. They kind of go limp. They did that specifically against Louisville in the first week of the season. They scored 28 points in the first quarter, in the second quarter, rather, and then nothing for the rest of the game and ended up losing it. Uh, that was not the case on Saturday. They scored 21 points, and then they matched that in the second half and scored an additional 21 points. They were efficient and balanced on offense, on defense. They were most, they were very effective 
they did something I think on Saturday that they, uh, we haven't seen from them all season, and that's tackle effectively in space. Uh, that was really what Virginia does very well is that they have the ability to turn short plays into long plays, and they did that against North Carolina, and they would just sustain drives. Georgia Tech, for the first time all season, we saw them get Virginia off the field, and I think that's going to be a really major key for them coming up on Saturday as they go down to Death Valley and take on Clemson. They are they open as an 18-point underdog, I believe, in that game, and that's going to be a really important game for both of these teams. Georgia Tech looking to become bowl eligible for the first time since 2018. Clemson looking to also be bowl eligible and keep that long streak of bowl eligibility alive uh, as they look to salvage what's left of this season that they can for the Tigers. Uh, that's going to be an interesting game, and, and we might get into that one here just a little bit. Brent Key, 6-1 and one as a road underdog in the ACC. Very interesting contest there. But I want to swing it out west uh, because we had the defenseless bowl. It was Washington and USC, a game where we've already seen some ramifications for uh, the lack of defense, if you will, if you will, Alex Grinch, after allowing 101 yards or 101 points, he wishes it was 101 yards, 101 points in his last two games, at least 32 points in nine of his last 10. The Grinch doesn't even make it to Christmas, man. He gets fired. USC is now defensive coordinator less. I think they actually hired their, they elevated their linebackers coach or whatever, but he's no longer with the program. Uh, 52 points to Washington, I guess in a vacuum is not the craziest of results, but it's also on the heels of allowing 49 points to, uh, to Cal last week. It's, it's, it's allowing teams to get right against you. And that's really what teams have done very effectively throughout this season. We looked at Utah in particular, Utah is not a team that's particularly adept on the offensive side of the ball. They score 38 points. I believe that was their final score in that game. They beat you in a game that they really should not have had any business beating you in. They they don't have their starting quarterback. Cam Rising's not playing. And in a game that Cam Rising's not playing, they shouldn't be scoring 38 points. And that said, they did just score 55 points on Arizona State. But, of course, that's Arizona State. And you're USC, and you were a college football playoff contender. You were somebody who should have been playing for a Pac-12 title. And your defense has just been indefensible. It has been doing the opposite. And, and Dylan Johnson, I, I want to give him some flowers here. All of the eyes were on Michael Penix, the quarterback. He does have a pretty good game, 256 yards and two tutties for the, the quarterback. But Dylan Johnson had 100 yards rushing in the first half, Abe. In the first half, 100 yards rushing. Incredible game. It was his first 100-yard effort of his entire career. He finishes the day with 256 yards and four touchdowns. Abe, did it, it looked like to me the Washington offense got back on track. Yeah, a little bit. I'd still be a little disappointed that the defense isn't able to handle USC a little bit more mm. because I do think Washington is going to need a couple of defensive efforts uh, if they're going to continue and win uh, the Pac-12 title and yeah. into the playoffs. They're going to need uh, to ramp that up because the other teams that are in this discussion, they can all play a little bit of defense as well. So, uh, but yeah, you you nailed it right on the head. I, I mean, all eyes are on Michael Penix. You, you're you're waiting to see. You know, it's a bad defense you're facing. You're waiting to see is this the game where the Heisman numbers just jump off the page and and just as you said, they get stolen by Dylan Johnson, 256 and four. Uh, he was the story of the game offensively uh, yeah. in this one. Uh, he he was undoubtedly the star of the day for Washington. And uh, look, th th this was kind of like Georgia 
It's a USC team that is good. They're dangerous. They're they're obviously not what people thought maybe they could be this year or whatever. Yeah. Um, and same same with Missouri. Missouri is a good team, but they're not winning national championship right now either. Georgia gets a comfortable ten point win. Uh, Washington gets a comfortable ten point win. Um, or I guess Georgia was nine, but you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah. and, and and it just kind of felt that way. It felt like a comfortable victory. Uh, but this was a very good game that was decided in the fourth quarter. There's no doubt about that. Um, I- I'm still unsettled a little bit. I, I would personally like my p- potential national champion to give a little bit more on-, on the defensive side of the ball. And you do have to wonder if that ultimately is what fells Washington down the yep. road. Um, look, they can score. We, we-, we know that. There- there's no surprise there, but. Um, it's going to be tough to just outscore everyone on your schedule, uh, especially when you get into the playoffs. You're going to have to play and get some stops. Uh, and they really didn't do that. And, uh, you know, I have no idea who's winning the Heisman. Um, but it, it, in my opinion, Penix really didn't take a, a step forward in, in regards to this game. So uh, that thing's back up for grabs. Jaden Daniels looked great, but they lost. Uh, he was knocked out. We'll have to wait and see on his availability for next week. That if he was in the discussion, mm-hmm. uh, Ollie Gordon. I, I mean, it, it, it's a wild discussion, but I did think this was a chance Penix could maybe throw six or seven touchdowns. Now they got six or seven as a team, uh, but they won all through his arm. They were through, as you mentioned, Dylan Johnson uh, and the ground game. So it, it was an impressive win. Uh, anytime you go onto the road to a top 25 team, I think you'll take that victory. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think they have a lot of work to do there uh, if they're going to ride that offense to a national championship. Yeah, and this is a Pac-12 conference that just four weeks ago, they boasted the number seven, the number eight, the number 10, the number 15, the number 16, the number 18, and the number 19 team in the AP poll. We were a little, frankly, for a good reason, concerned that a team wasn't going to be able to run the gauntlet that is the Pac-12 mm-hmm. this year, which is as far as depth goes by far the best conference in college football right now. And they've struggled to put away the last three opponents. Of course, we saw the Arizona state game. I, that it's still sort of an inexplicable result to me. It just felt like a team that was sleepwalking after a huge win against Oregon, but they've struggled to put away three straight opponents. And they, of course, with USC, I mean, I, I understand why that's a really high powered, high octane offense that you faced over there with Caleb Williams, the reigning Heisman trophy winner. Because for as much, how many issues that the uh, the defense has, the offense is just as electric. Um, but now they have Utah. They they have to go on the road to Oregon State, and then they finish with Wazoo. And and it's going to take a, a, a I don't want to call it a Herculean effort, but it's going to take a pretty big effort from this team to to just continue playing good football and do it week in week out. Because there are no weeks off if you're Washington. Uh, this that's a very tough end of your season stretch if you will. I mean, that's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough, especially with the, the road game at Oregon State, um, a, a team that it, I think is looking to salvage a bit of its season right there. It's still it's number 16 in the country, um, and we'll see where they come in with the, the next college football playoff rankings, but that's a good football team, and Utah is Utah. Yeah, I mean, the offense looked electric for the first time really all season. I don't even count that USC game, but um, it's going to take a, it's going to take a lot of big work from Washington to finish the season undefeated, and then you really don't have a lot of room for error because the Pac-12 is tight at the top, and Oregon is right there. 
And I know we're going to discuss what we're going to hear in just a second, but they just had a massive win over Cal 63 to 19. They showed no mercy to the, uh, to Cal there. I mean, that, that was just an incredible game for them, but, and it looked like they're clicking on all cylinders, but you know what, actually now, now that we're doing that, I do want to stay right. Did you have any more thoughts on, on this game? Washington USC just, well, yeah, hey, hey, just, just to reiterate my stance on Washington, you look at it, the, the teams above them in the rankings, Ohio state, Georgia, Michigan, and Florida state, all four of those teams can win the game on both sides of the ball. They can beat you up on defense. They can outscore you on offense. All four of those teams. And just right now, I just don't feel the way uh, about Washington as I do those four. I, I just have got to see a better defensive effort at some point if I'm to believe that they can, one, win a rematch with Oregon uh, yeah. potential, and then also get through that. So I, I just got to see it on defense a little bit better than they have shown. Yep. And, and so actually, Abe, let's do this real quick. So we'll get into a quick lightning round. I want to give you just a couple of thoughts on those on those top teams. Um, we're going to start, of course, with Oregon. This is a team that's that's dominated its last two opponents, one of them being Utah on the road in Salt Lake City, 35 to six, two weeks ago. And then this week, they, they're at home against Cal, 63 to 19. They showed them no mercy. Look, Oregon might be one of the best teams in the country. I, I don't think that if Washington faced Oregon, I don't know if Oregon wouldn't show them to the door pretty quickly in that game. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, and you obviously can't discount the loss, but it, what, you want to say who's the playing the best right now, I could make an argument for Oregon. If you want to argue what team would the top four teams not want to face right now, more so than Georgia, more so than Michigan, I think that answer would be Oregon. They, they, they're on both sides of the ball, getting it done. Uh, they have a quarterback that's played in some big games. Um, and and outside of the coach making a few bonehead plays, they might be one of those top teams. Um, uh, you know, yeah. A couple decisions go differently. Maybe you are. But uh, they are just playing as well as anyone in the country is right now. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and then they, they have USC coming to town this week. Uh, yeah. That's going to be a very interesting contest, I think. I mean, USC is... Yeah, they rebound. Um, you saw the way that USC, Caleb Williams in particular, reacted after the loss. Uh, tough thing to see for, for Caleb Williams there, but he still has a chance to rebound and do something with his, his final season, likely his final season in Los Angeles. And you have them at home next week. Then you're at Arizona State, and then you have Oregon State to finish off the season in Civil War. So this team looks to be clicking on all cylinders. I don't know who slows them down at this point. Um, I don't know if they, they're actually going to move at all. I think, I think they're ranked number six right now. We're going to get into that discussion here in just a couple of minutes, but I do want to move on really quickly um, because Ohio State and the Big Ten just in general, because we have our top three teams in the Big Ten who, I, I don't know, there's nobody else in that conference who's going to give them any trouble. We saw that specifically uh, with Penn State, and that's where we'll start, Abe. They, I think I want to say that this was your upset special, right? Didn't go so well. Didn't, didn't go, go so well. well. Not, I mean, I'm not trying to put you under the bus there. 51 to 15 is your final score for Penn State. This was really the kind of offense that I've been expecting for Penn State. Uh, 51 points. Drew Aller looks really good. He's a guy who struggled mightily on the road this season. Highlighted and punctuated uh, whatever adjective you want to use against that, against that Ohio State defense on the road. Uh, he'll have another chance next week as Michigan comes to town for just an incredible matchup. 
just between Penn State and Michigan. But for right now, Drew Aller looked really good, 25 and 34, 240 yards and four touchdowns for him. The rushing attack, I would I actually expected to have a little bit more of an impact on this game. They only go for 158 yards, which I'll be it is not bad. Uh, but it was the rush defense for Penn State that really stole the show. A sack, non non-sack sack adjusted. Did you see what their their the final line was for uh for Maryland in this rush in the rushing attack? I didn't. Minus 49 including sack yardage. If you don't want to include well, sack yardage, sack yards, yeah. if, if you, if you don't include sack yardage, uh, they had one yard. Well, actually, no, that would have been negative two. Cause uh, yeah, negative two yards. So not a great day for the Maryland rushing attack. Tackle the uh, the younger brother of Tua, 286 yards in this game, two touchdowns in the interception. Everything was going for Penn state. Yeah, it, it was an interesting game because it was. It felt like it was close and competitive, and then it just wasn't. Like, like the next thing I left, I'm like, is that forty? What, what's going on here? Um, and so, so very, very good game for Penn State heading into what obviously will be a monumental matchup on Saturday that we will be talking about on Thursday. But uh, yeah. very impressive performance by them. There's no doubt about that. Drew Aller and company. If they're gonna want to beat Michigan, um. That's that's what they need is they're going to need efficiency and explosiveness. And that's what they showed. Yeah. And and look, I, I don't want this scoreline to get too kind of crazy for people. I mean, this was a game that was 24 to seven at the end of the third quarter, 24 yeah. to seven. And then they scored 27 fourth quarter points. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that felt as much that it was like, hey, let's pad your confidence just a little bit um, moving into a huge week against Michigan. Um, all eyes are going to be on Happy Valley for that game in particular, and I think Penn State's playing really good football. I mean, look if you're if you're doing that and like to, to a pretty competent Maryland opponent, um, I don't know. But this the Big Ten just feels like it is every day. It just gets more and more abundantly clear that it's just going to be these three teams. I don't really see anybody else. Iowa is still technically alive. They they have their win what ten to three or something over. Northwestern, just a, a slugfest of an ugly game. They were fighting to see who could win uglier. But let's move to the number three team in the country, University of Michigan. Um, of course, we have all the Connor Stallions news and Jim Harbaugh hoopla. We're not going to get into that right now on this podcast until we actually get some more news, some more substance to discuss. Uh, but for right now, let's discuss the actual football. And as far as the actual football goes, Michigan wins 41-13. to J.J. McCarthy he was good, not great. 335 yards sounds very good. Doesn't score. Uh, really, it's it's Blake Corum. He is he's the dude in the red zone. When, this is I don't really know how you stop Michigan once they get down to the red area. They are just such an electric unit, just in general. They check every box. Um, I, I mean, offense, defense, special teams, everything is good if you're the Michigan Wolverines. Yeah, it. it I mean. It all sounds great. I know Quorum didn't have a great yards per per carry average number. He did have the three uh, touchdowns, as you mentioned. And uh, I know that McCarthy went over 330 yards, but he didn't throw for any touchdowns. None of this is relevant to me, to be honest, because it's just another bum opponent for Mm -hmm. Michigan. I I, I think all of the discussion that we want to have about this team and just how good they are, 
we will potentially be having at this time next week. Uh, but yeah, Michigan did what they're supposed to do. They blew out a team that is no business being on the field with them. So, so that's where we are, but uh, it, it's more just the idea that we're finally to the point where we're about to see Michigan play a quality opponent. And I look forward to seeing exactly how they stack up. Yep. And they haven't played to that point. They have not played a single top 40 team. I, yeah, think, I don't, I don't know if they've played a single top 60 team in, in terms of S and P S and P plus um, the Bill Conley stat that he uses on ESPN. I don't think they played a single top 60 team. If it is, it might be Rutgers. Maybe it's UNLV. You know, at this point, this is just such an embarrassingly bad schedule. I don't know who Michigan is yet. And we are in week 10 or, or through week 10, you know, so it's a little embarrassing. I will say though, this, I will say this though. Um, they are 0 and 1 against the spread when uh, they don't have their, their, their dude on the sideline, Scallions or Stallions or whatever. <laughs> Take that for what you will. The final thing up in the Big Ten, Ohio State. 35 over 16, an upstart Rutgers team, um, a squad who I think looked pretty good in this game. They had the fumble Ruski at one point. They kind of made this a contest in this uh, coming into halftime. They led nine to seven and just sort of an ugly game. Uh, but that's good enough for, for this Rutgers team. If you, if you're in the game, you know, uh, Shiano has done a great job for Rutgers so far, but OSU pours it on in the second half, 28 points in the second half for the Buckeyes. They look like a strong team. Travion Henderson, of course, has a big day, 128 yards and a touchdown. Kyle McCord, again, he's good enough. Um, and at the end of the day, that's all they really need. It's just another slow start. Uh, and this one went on a little longer than it should have. And mm -hmm. honestly, if if they don't get the pick six down at, at, at the goal line, I mean, who knows? how this game plays itself out with Rutgers being on upset, you know, upset minded, but uh, another slow start. It, it, it just, you wonder when they're going to be able to survive it. Uh, they, they've been, obviously they're where they are right now. Um, but you just, you can't put up seven points against Rutgers in a half and expect to be able to beat Michigan playing that same level of ball. So you're, you're going to have to be better uh, in a couple of weeks and, and, in the weeks between than, than you have been, but uh, a win is a win, as you mentioned, and, and you, you, we're not judging them. They're still undefeated and they're still pacing the pack right now. Yeah. And uh, at this point they are still number one in the college football playoff rankings, which I do want to get to quickly here. Um, let me, let me start by actually saying number one last week was Ohio state. Number two, Georgia, Michigan, number three, Florida state, number four, Washington, number five, and then Oregon, number six, those are your top six programs. That's where we're going to keep it, just your, your top four and then your last two out. Uh, but then seven, eight, nine, ten, Texas, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Ole Miss. There's one of those who I absolutely know is not going to be in the top ten anymore. We're not going to get too deep into that here on this podcast. But, Abe, I will ask you this. Do you see any changes? I, I want your top six, and then I want you what you think the top six is going to be. Start with what you think it's going to be. I, I think you're still going to have Ohio State one. Uh, I don't think Georgia was quite impressive enough against Missouri to jump Ohio State. So I would still say Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan are one, two, three. I do think okay. you see a flop at four and five. I think Washington, a road victory over a top 25 team, um, that's going to be enough to get them to leapfrog Florida State into the four spot. Mm -hmm. Florida State falls to five. 
And then obviously Oregon will remain six. That that'd be my only adjustment. Um sure. that, I, that I think they'll make. They they definitely could put Georgia one based on uh you know a, a top 15 victory. Um, but I don't think they will just based on the idea that wasn't as impressive as it could have been. That's fair. All right. So I'm going to start with my college football playoff ranking. I'm going to say my top six. I think Georgia's the best team in the country. I'm still going to stand on that fact. I think they showed it again on Saturday. They didn't play a perfect game and they still won by two scores against a pretty good Missouri team. Uh, they're my number one team in the country. Number two is going to be Ohio state. Uh, they do have the, just the, they have the two best wins in the country. They got the resume. Yeah. They got the resume. Uh, they're not sexy. They play really good defense. The offense is just largely okay, but it seems like they're figuring out the rushing attack, and that's going to go a long way uh, as far as their prospects go for the rest of the season. They were my preseason pick to represent the Big Ten in the college football playoff, and I firmly believe that they're going to be that team still at the end of the season. They're my number two team right now. Michigan is number three. Um, I still have Washington at number four. I, I That's where I had them before last week. It's where I still have them this week. I think they've looked a bit sluggish in the last couple of weeks, but you know what? They've survived and they've continued to play. I think that that win against Oregon is still the best win of any of any single win against anybody in college football this season. Number six is Oregon. I think Oregon is by far the best one-loss team in the country. I think that, honestly, <laughs> when we get to the end of the season, I think Oregon's going to be that fourth team. They were my preseason pick, and I'm going to stick with those guys right there. I think they're going to continue to roll in the Pac-12. but. As far as what I expect it to be, what the college football playoff committee to actually do, Ohio State's going to stay at that number one spot. I think that just makes the most sense based off of the rationale that the committee had after the rankings came out on last Tuesday. I don't really see any reason for them to drop. Georgia's going to stay at number two. Michigan's going to stay at number three. I fully expect Florida State to stay at number four, Washington and Oregon. I think that we have the exact same top six. The only real change I think I, I think that we're going to see is Ole Miss is going to move up a spot, and then Penn State's going to move up a spot there. And then maybe Louisville jumps into the top 10 at number 10 and the number 10 team in the country. Uh, that's don't, really be surprised, don't be surprised if Alabama jumps Texas. That 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 would, I would be, be very a, surprised. A, a, I, that's a spot. I I know they say heads up, but we'll we'll see how much they stick to that. I think that could be a very interesting point of contention. I know that they enjoy being yeah. in the news cycle. And that is really the only thing that they can do to stay in the news cycle. Alabama, like we discussed earlier in the podcast, they look pretty damn good. They look pretty yeah. damn good against uh, LSU in that game. Played at home, one big. Uh, I think Texas, they like to reward so ranked ranked wins. So we'll we'll see how that plays itself out. Mm -hmm. Well, that is it for us on college football overtime. I, I mean, just an incredibly packed week of action. I I feel like Abe, we, we wanted to say pretty pretty consistently fast on this one and, and try to keep that tempo up, you know, but you know, there's so much good college football happening right now. And we're going to keep you updated on all of this stuff right here on college football overtime, as you see on the bottom, every single Monday and Thursday. So make sure you are subscribed right here on the sports radio, 92, nine, the game YouTube page. Go check that out there. Also go check us out on anywhere. You find your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, the Odyssey app, anywhere and everywhere. Find us. If you, want, if you love college football, make sure you're giving us a follow at GChapATL on Twitter, at Abe Gordon on Twitter, slash X, slash whatever you're calling it these days. We'll figure it out. But for Abe Gordon and Garrett Chapman, we are College Football Overtime. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you on Thursday.